Today on the podcast, we're talking about the entire Earth, literally, the study of the shape of the planet Earth. It's a really important science, but it's one that the U.S. has fallen way behind on. We talk about why and whether policymakers in Washington will do anything about it. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So we're going to be using a lot of fancy words and terms on today's episode. So why don't we start off with a glossary? First up, geodesy, G-E-O-D-E-S-Y. It's the science of measuring the shape and the magnetic field of the Earth as accurately as is humanly possible. Though you may not have heard about it before now, the U.S. military made some incredible breakthroughs in geodesy in the last century, and as a result, we now have GPS and a bunch of other technology. Okay, next up, the military-industrial research complex. The main reason why we have those breakthroughs in geodesy is that during the Cold War, the military was funneling tons of money into universities studying this kind of thing. In recent decades, however, that's all but ground to a halt. And as Bloomberg government reporter Jack Fitzpatrick found out, a lot of scientists are now terrified that the U.S. has irrevocably given away our lead in the field of geodesy to our rivals. And that leads us to the third word in our glossary, Sinophobia. The fear of China is everywhere these days, not always for the better. But these scientists are hoping that one positive outcome from Sinophobia is that it spurs us to get back into the geodesy game. I spoke with Jack about what's at stake here if we don't, but first, just so we're all on the same page, I had him explain to me exactly what geodesy is. Yeah, so it's a fundamental kind of niche science that focuses on the shape of the Earth. And because it focuses on the shape of the Earth, it also focuses on its gravitational field. Uh, the Earth is not actually totally round. It's a little bit bigger at the equator than at the poles. So there are varying degrees of gravity at different parts of the Earth. It's uh, they, The scientists study the exact shape of it. And that plays into uh, a lot of different applied sciences that grow out of that fundamental fundamental science. So pretty much everything that has to do with the geospatial industry, satellites, uh, what you use GPS for, whether it's drones or the future of driverless cars, uh, those play into that. And then also because we learned from Einstein that gravity warps the passage of time, all very precise clocks, synchronized clocks, that are used for uh, Wall Street machinations. Anything that needs very, very precise synchronized clocks also depends on that fundamental science of geodesy because it studies not only the shape of the Earth, but its gravitational field. Yeah, I got the sense from your story that you know the whole existence of GPS, which I use, I'll say daily, multiple times a day probably, uh, the whole science behind that is based on geodesy. If geodesy didn't exist, we wouldn't have GPS. Right. And that's kind of the thing that some scientists are flagging is that uh, there's there's really two things to keep in mind with uh, the idea of geodesy going into the future. One, a lot of the things that we have come to rely on are built on that. So if we gave up on geodesy, uh, you would gradually see a degradation of the quality of GPS, which, you know, I've forgotten how to drive without it. Uh, there are also ideas out there about what comes next. Uh, you know, Mike Beavis, who's a, a professor at Ohio 
Ohio State University, uh, a geodesist himself, says, you know, in 15 to 20 years, we could see the most advanced uh, countries in the world working on basically a, a replacement for GPS based on these low Earth orbit satellites, sort of like Starlink uh, from uh, SpaceX. Uh, and, and there may be great improvements, not only in, you know, I can look at my phone and see basically where I am, uh, but in the future there may be much more precise measurements, better real-time measurements, uh, and also uh, GPS is very easy to jam. So it may be the case that, you know, 15 years from now there's a system that can't be jammed, which carries a lot of implications, not only for our daily life, but probably for the military as well. Yeah, one of the examples you gave in your story is that the soldiers fighting Russia in Ukraine can't necessarily rely on GPS for their movements because it is so easily jammed uh, and, you know, both sides are jamming each other's GPS, right? Yeah, there's some debate about exactly how much Russia has been uh, jamming Ukrainian GPS signals. Uh, it is something that they have to contend with. It also then becomes an issue where uh, there's a lot of confidence in the fact that Russia is jamming GPS signals in some places within Russia, which could play into potentially its defense against attacks, uh, potential attacks from GPS-guided weaponry. Uh, so that's it, it is already an issue. Uh, and it's it's something that uh, you know people uh, in the field of geodesy and the applied scientists have said will probably become even uh, more of an issue in any greater wars. This is sort of one of the earlier uh, examples of GPS jamming being a, a real issue for the military. But there's a lot of expectations that if there were to be a, a, an even greater ground war somewhere, uh, this would be a bigger issue. The idea of jamming GPS signals. Well, let's get into the field of geodesy and specifically get into the meat of your story, which is why the U.S. is so far behind on this after decades of being out in front. What happened? I mean, I guess that's the main thing that I want to know. Why did the U.S. Far, fall so far behind? Specifically, you gave a stat in your story about the number of PhDs we're uh, granting in the U.S. versus other countries. It's pretty stark. Yeah, according to Nikki Markeel, who's the top geomatics scientist at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which is within the Department of Defense, uh, their understanding is that there have only been about 20 Americans to uh, graduate with a graduate degree in geodesy in the last decade. She said some of our adversaries, such as China, uh, are closer to 1,500 so when we're talking about China uh, and potentially some others, I've heard you know Germany has kind of pulled ahead, uh, Japan, we may be at roughly an 80 to 1 disadvantage just in terms of the fundamental science. There are a lot of people going into fields that have to do with uh, the geospatial industry. Uh, it's not that we've fallen uh, behind on every aspect of it, but the point of science, the niche science that all of it is based on, is the one area where people in the federal government, academics, pretty much everybody who knows anything about geodesy in the U.S. says we have fallen way, way behind over the last 20 years or so. What went wrong? I mean, those numbers, I think, speak for themselves. You know, clearly something has changed. What changed? I've heard a couple uh, explanations. One, the U.S. made the global positioning system, uh, GPS, uh, eventually made it public. It is very useful, and as we've said, we can rely on that in our daily lives. For the military, it's in many regards good enough. Um, somebody like Mike Beavis at OSU has, has said there have been discussions about, you know, it, it's accurate down to a meter or so. 
you don't necessarily need a rocket to be more accurate, more precise than a meter because it explodes. But when you start imagining future developments uh, about uh, stopping the ability to jam it, um, real-time navigation, what it means for autonomous vehicles, uh, there's now some alarm bells ringing. There's also the explanation that uh, Dr. Markeel at NGA said is that the, the military for a long time funded university research in geodesy and then the wars in the Middle East uh, largely distracted from those kinds of research and development university grant initiatives. So it's a combination of, for a while it seems there may have been a, 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 an idea that GPS was good enough, and then also the U.S. military had some other more pressing immediate concerns for a pretty long time. That makes sense. Um, and before we get into the possible solutions here, you know, let's talk about one of the solutions that I thought of when I was reading your article. I was like, well, you know, if we're not graduating as many uh, geodesy PhDs, why don't we just hire uh, PhDs who graduate from other countries, you know, and have highly skilled uh, immigrants who come in and, and help us? You, uh, in your story, though, shot that down because, uh, as you pointed out, there are a lot of positions in the federal government, particularly national security positions, where foreign citizens cannot hold those positions. Can you get into to that a little bit more and to why uh, highly skilled immigrants who are experts at geodesy won't be the solution here? Yeah, so I, I mean, there are two, I guess, theoretical solutions in the short term, which is you could make exceptions and hire more uh, immigrants, people who are not U.S. citizens. Two, you can um, train people who are not geodesists and have the government hire mathematicians or physicists and spend a lot of money to train them for years. Uh, but the underlying problem, uh, as you mentioned, is that the federal government typically is required to hire U.S. citizens. And then when you talk about something like the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, uh, which does surveillance work for the Department of Defense, that has a lot of clearance requirements. So they can't even get the flexibility that you might see at some domestic agencies that work on, say, natural disaster response. It's an issue across the federal government, but especially given the reliance at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, there's not that much of a workaround. So let's talk about the solutions and how the U.S. can sort of get back in the geodesy game. Uh, it sounds like Based on the sources that you talk to, the issue is just simply, you know, we need to recreate that environment where the military was funding a lot of these PhD programs. Um, is that the main solution? Do we need to go back to a time when, you know, the, the Defense Department and other federal agencies were, were subsidizing uh, this research? Yeah, the, the fundamental suggestion that I've heard, including from uh, Dr. Markeel, who again is the, the top geomatic scientist at the NGA, saying there needs to be a focus on funding available for university research because the demand isn't there for universities to maintain their geodesy programs at a graduate level uh, without funding from uh, the, the federal government. It could be the NGA, it could be somewhere else, but it's not something that has ever really been driven by the private sector. So there are these issues of scientists at government agencies saying this is an issue, but the question is how does that get up to the top brass? It's not exactly something that the president or cabinet level secretaries are talking about very much. Yeah, we're talking about layers and layers of bureaucracy here in Washington and elsewhere. I mean, this is hard to, to navigate through. Um, 
Is there any sign that we are going to be able to navigate through this, that either you know, top officials at these agencies are aware of this and are going to devote more funding, or maybe more interestingly, that people in Congress, especially appropriators, are going to send more funding to these agencies for this cause? There have been maybe some half measures, some beginning inklings of change on this. Uh, for one, I, I have heard from the staff uh, on the Democratic side on the House Intelligence Committee that they are at least aware of this and that they are supportive of the kinds of things that Dr. Markeel at the NGA is talking about as a funding priority. It's not something that I have heard uh, discussed among appropriators. I've checked in with some of the, the appropriators uh, in the relevant subcommittees. I, I'm not sure it's something they're fully aware of. Um, but, you know, for example, NGA did manage to give a little bit of money to Ohio State University, which is one of the few places with a, essentially still a full geodesy program. Um, and, and we're really only talking about a program that over three years is a little less than $30 million for them. Uh, it's not extremely costly to do university research. Uh, OSU had sought more money and more resources to develop a full consortium on this. So they're, they, they have taken some baby steps forward on it. Um, but really, the academics and, and even some officials uh, in the federal government that I've talked to still, still say more is needed. This needs uh, essentially a, a whole of government approach to organize what the federal government needs to do and how much it needs to spend on research. Let's get real here, though, Jack. Um, I just can't foresee a situation where members of Congress really get animated about this because I don't think that any congressman is going to win re-election because they funded 20 more seats at their local university in a field of science that most people can't pronounce. Like, is this just too obscure of a problem for Congress and, and specifically for appropriators in Congress to to really you know take this seriously? Yet, yeah, does, does this need to get worse before it gets better? I don't know if it can get that much worse before it gets better. It, we're at the point where, um, you know, geodesists in academia are saying all the geodesists are close to uh, retirement age. So we're almost to the point of no return. Um, you're definitely not going to hear politicians campaigning on what they did for the field of geodesy. But the fact that China has become really the center of the world in geodesy, uh, you know, they say Wuhan, China, uh, at its uh, universities and institutes, maybe uh, training as many geodesists as the rest of the world combined, given that there is real bipartisan concern about economic and potentially military competition between the US and China, it is the kind of thing that probably could get people's attention. Uh, it may not have done so yet, but I don't think it's unimaginable that lawmakers, as they learn a little more of this, uh, consider it a, a high priority going forward, especially because they could make progress without spending a massive amount of money on it. That's really interesting. So maybe the <laughs> this is ultra cynical, but maybe the way to get funding for this is not to say we're falling behind the rest of the world, but to say we're falling behind China and sort of use the, I hate to say it, but Sinophobia on Capitol Hill as a way to get more funding for this very important uh, project. Well, we've definitely already seen a bunch of sort of China hawk measures attached to a variety of bills, much smaller issues. When you see lawmakers talking about 
China buying agricultural land, for example, which is not a massive amount of acreage, um, it, it's, not, it, it's not impossible to imagine that some university funding that would support the U.S.'s economic dominance and national security uh, in a way that has been flagged as relevant to what we've seen even with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They're, they're getting a real-world example of what kind of threats uh, any country could face with regard to jamming of GPS. It's something that has been an issue in the U.S., not for the military, but there were uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, it, it, the airport had a GPS jamming issue last year. It's something people are aware of, and if it is flagged to military brass and to lawmakers as an issue that could put the U.S. As a at a disadvantage with China, um, it's something that seems to be gaining some steam. It's just been moving very slowly, and they've built this problem up for probably 20 years or so. All right, well, that was Jack Fitzpatrick talking about the whole Earth and the shape of the Earth. Uh, thank you so much. This was really fascinating. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Saturn. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks everyone for listening and see you next week. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.